This week on Florida's Fourth Estate, a potpourri of Florida stories that make you say, hmm. You've heard of therapy dogs, pigs, and even goats. But what about a therapy gator? Would you snuggle up with a, a gator if someone brought one in for you? It's like like oh. a stuffed gator? No, no, it's a real gator. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? And a Florida man thought someone was stealing his opioid, so he decided to get to the bottom of the crime. He doesn't want his opioids getting taken anymore, so he fills that bottle up with laxatives. Probably like eight to ten hours later he found out. Yeah, that, that would be about it. <laughs> Overnight. I think, I think everybody found out, actually, in the apartment. And we take a look at the Groveland Four case, a shameful part of Florida's history. Four young black men were wrongly convicted of raping a white woman. People don't realize that in the late 1940s, early 1950s, Florida was one of the most violent states in the Union. Uh, the Apopka and Orlando Ku Klux Klan chapters were among the most violent, according to an FBI study. UCF history professor Jim Clark walks us through how the sheriff, the Klan, and an all-white jury played a role in convicting the young men. And in January this year, nearly 70 years later, the Florida Clemency Board granted pardons to the four who died without having their names cleared. Hi there, Ed. Welcome to this week's Florida's Fourth Estate. This is where we talk about all the goings-on in the state of Florida. The Fourth Estate, of course, is the media, journalists. I'm one of them, though probably, you know, closer to the uh, average Joe Schmo. Oh, don't sell yourself Ginger. short. That's, that's why I'm here. <laughs> Ginger levels us all a bit. My name is Matt Austin. I'm Ginger Gads, and thank you so much for joining us. We are going to have a really good time today, but it's a good time because we're going to learn a lot about Florida history. You know, we like to do a deep dive into some stories that are really important to us here in Florida. And you see UCF history professor extraordinaire, I'm going to add that, Jim Clark <laughs> joins us today to talk about something that can only be described as a very shameful part of Florida's past. But a wrong has been righted, kind of, almost. I don't think you can ever undo what happened, but we're talking about the Groveland Four. You're going to talk about that in detail we and are. what happened recently and I'm so excited that you're here because I'd never I would not want to talk about this with anyone other than you because you know so much about the yeah. history of this. He has a wealth of knowledge on it. This is one of those things where uh, you know a lot of people say these days oh the world's gonna end this is the worst time ever in history. Well let me tell you something by the end of our conversation with Jim Clark you're definitely oh. gonna think okay maybe there were some times that were yeah. a hell of a lot crazier than what we're dealing with Maybe right now. me not being able to connect to the internet wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll survive. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> a shameful thing that's happened here in Florida. You know, a lot, of, a lot of times Florida doesn't get lumped in with the South when it comes to yeah. racism. That's exactly uh, right. We were very much in the thick of that. Very Southern that day. Uh, yes, or yes. That, that, uh, during that time. That many decades yeah. there. All right, Jim Clark. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. First, though, let's talk about the Pro Bowl. Okay. Do we have to? Gosh. No, I mean, people love the Pro Bowl. Shameful and in its, its own right. It's been in Orlando <laughs> for the past three years now, and we're trying to work out a fourth year, but I don't know if that's going to happen. So, you know, like in uh, TV, we get contracts, right? And you always hope 
Like, say you have a three-year contract. Those first two years, you have a little leeway. That third year, oh. everything better be humming along nicely yeah. if you want to get re-signed. Put the shine on it. Well, this was the third year of Orlando's contract <laughs> for the Pro Bowl. And not it's not Orlando's fault, but it was a horrible day to just yeah. be outside. It was cold. It was rainy. rainy. It, it was, was sleepless windy. in Seattle. <laughs> it was. Everyone was describing it that way. And yes. you're seeing the video of people in their ponchos. And we had people here who we work with who went, who uh, someone described it as dressing for a ski trip and a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that sound like fun? <laughs> and you sit out there in that. And a lot of people were posting social media images of them at the game for the first half. Yeah. And the second half, they're at home watching it on TV <laughs> because they, they just couldn't take yeah. it. There's yeah. no way. And you don't go there for the game. The game sucks. It means nothing. We all know the game. They're bla- it's, basically it's, playing two-hand touch out there. I was going to say. <laughs> it's it's, it's like no fun football. to watch the game, so you at least want to be out on a beautiful day. Yeah. It was in Hawaii for many, many mm. years and was gorgeous there. But it's hard to get to Hawaii, so they said, hey, let's bring it to Florida. Give that a shot, Jim. Not mm. an overwhelming success for us. Hopefully we get another year or two. Yeah, they, uh, you know, Hawaii has made the point that they had more support because there is no pro football. This is a sure. treat for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have three teams, NFL teams, within driving distance. Yeah. Three um, awful teams. Well, I was yeah. about to say they call themselves NFL teams. <laughs> if oh, you put the three together, we might have, have a pretty one, good one. one NFL Way to team, kick them when they're down, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, there's just not that level. And also in Hawaii, there were lots of military people who came yeah. out for the games. Yeah. They honored the military. They had all these things going. And uh, so there might be a better site for it. Some people are saying the game has kind of outlived its usefulness. You really don't have the greatest players. No, and and they're not going to go all out in fear of getting hurt for a game that doesn't count for anything. Right. You know, they they already got their bonus just being there. But, you know, Orlando's a great place to have it because you have – Disney, you have Universal, you have all the other family-friendly events, and Hawaii doesn't offer that. A lot of places don't offer that. Normally, January in Orlando is incredible. Except uh, for that except one for time. That day. Ah, <laughs> it was terrible. It's awful. Yeah, didn't work out. Speaking of not working out, you know, there's a saying that you cannot outrun the long arm of the law. There is a guy who was featured in 1996 on America's Most Wanted. Yeah, 22 out of, out of, years ago. Out of Virginia. He had stabbed his wife something like 33 times. His name is Michael Moore, but not the filmmaker Michael Moore. He stabbed his wife 33 times and tried and kidnapped their daughter and just was on the run for all that time. Well, lo and behold, technology has now caught up with him. He was driving in a stolen car and a card reader, uh, one of those electronic readers that the police have. Uh, the and they license drive around plate and, readers. Yeah, the license plate reader. Yeah. Scanned it, said, oh, that's a stolen car. So they check it out, and sure enough, this guy just takes off. And then when they figure out who is driving it, it's this guy who's been wanted, you know, for 20-some-odd years. And they they had to—he's so dangerous. They evacuated the neighborhood where they had him holed up because they were fearful— of what he might do, because if you've been on the run for that long and then finally it's like, oh. He's been preparing for this exactly, for a while. Exactly, exactly. And all these years, he's in a stolen car. I'm like, dude, you couldn't get a car of your own and all this time. I mean, 
How would you though? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. No, it's a, you know this is one of those things people say. Oh, we're gonna live in a police state. Yeah, I don't want these license plate readers everywhere. I didn't do anything. Well, you know what? I don't want people who stab somebody thirty but, times next to you. me. I'll take the license plate. I'll reader. give you my privacy. I don't care. I don't know. Is Especially that... if you're not doing anything wrong, why would you even care? But it's guys like that who don't want their privacy, you yeah. know, invaded because and some they people know. say one day if a dictator takes over, now we're all tracked and we're all screwed. Uh, Jim, what do you think? Police state? You you good for it? Yeah, I think well, if, if we get a dictator, we're going to have a lot worse problems. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. The license, license plate plates. readers? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, but yeah. they caught them in Florida. So, and Florida is one of those places where they have those license plate readers, and I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I am currently fighting people in Miami who want to take my license from me because they claim I ran a toll booth in Miami. Oh, really? did you? No. Were you not out clubbing in Miami, Jim? Was that I, not you? I thought somebody was trying to take your license just because you're so old. No. <laughs> oh, that's that. Is that not oh. the case? Oh, no. that's t- Jim. Isn't, I'm sorry. sorry. Jim. And, and against, he's your favorite. He's your favorite. Isn't that against the law in Florida? <laughs> elder abuse? It's terrible. Oh, it's man, terrible. I'm sorry. I could, you don't set those up for me and just expect me not to do anything with that's them. That's low-hanging fruit. That is. It was too easy. All right. Hey, by the way, there's some ski lifts, some gondolas in Florida. Oh, in the hills of Florida? You heard about this? It's not really that hilly out there. <laughs> Disney is finally doing something that they should have done years ago. You know, you're, you, when you're over there at Magic Kingdom, Epcot, you're sort of connected to the Polynesian, the Grand Florida, mm-hmm, the big mm-hmm. resorts. But the other ones, the Hollywood Studios and Animal Kingdom, you have to take a, a bus, bus to get yeah. there. And their bus system, while there's a ton of buses, they cannot get out of their own way with that bus system. It is yeah. miserable. It yeah. can take you forever to get over there. But... But... There's now some gondolas that will take you from some of the other resorts over to the other theme parks. And what a great idea. Like, Mm. I I, I wasn't so, like, gondolas, that's so weird. We're not going up. No. But it's just kind of a creative little way to get you from one spot to another without having to jump in I think in it's car. like a safer form of a zip line. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you, I mean, you're all nestled in, I but agree. I feel like that's yeah. what it is. I, I would love to do it. I think it's going to be great. It's going to be a hit. You know, the, the amazing part of this is that history is repeating itself. The gondolas were originally a Walt Disney idea. And they were used in the first Disneyland. They were one of the rides what? in 1955 in Disneyland. You took this gondola ride. This is what we and get for having a historian. I know. Yeah, and now, <laughs> have you here all the time. And now probably somebody got a big bonus for saying, hey, let's put in gondolas. <laughs> yeah, 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 I've exactly. got a revolutionary yeah. idea. <laughs> they could let's have hired me. I could have told them about oh the gondolas. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's fantastic. I had no idea. Yeah. He was ahead of his time, that's yes. for sure. Oh, in more ways than one, that is for sure. Speaking of someone who may be ahead of his time, or or maybe not. I I don't know. Okay, so I'm not trying to make fun of this story, but, you know, in certain places like senior homes, they have, like, comfort animals Mm -hmm. that come in, and we've done stories. Usually they're dogs or cats, and people love them. Sweet. Would you snuggle up with a a gator if someone brought one in for you? Like Like a stuffed gator? No, no, it's a real gator. It's a real (laughs) gator. Real deal? Yeah, a real deal. This guy, he says this gator he got the gator here in florida he doesn't live here anymore but the gator originally came from florida of course and he said this gator when he lost some important family members this is why i don't want to make fun of it yeah the gator kind of knew something was up with him and just kind of put his head see what this video right now just kind of did that he's just, a snuggler yeah he's a snuggle gator and so he now wants to take it to senior homes and have have them have, snuggle with the the senior people 
And <laughs> I think the gator would be great with that. I mean, it's like talking about shooting fish in a bear. I was like, you look slow. You, you know what? Gonna... <laughs> this gator's playing the long game, right? He's like, I'm going to snuggle up to this guy. I'm going to get real chummy with him. I'm going to grow to about 12 feet long, and he's going to let me loose with some oh elderly God. folks at a nursing home. Yeah. I, I see it the other way. Hey, Grandma, we're bringing a treat for you to yeah, see. Oh, my gosh. So awful. I mean, kudos to him. I'm glad the gator worked out for him, but I just don't think it's going to work out for everyone. And I would be interested and curious to know which homes will actually let him in to kind of I let the doubt gator. if any, but yeah. liability would be outrageous. I just I one so. clamp down and do the death roll. a little rubber band over the mouth, I think, when newbies <laughs> are I don't, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think that's going to work. Hey, uh, by the way, that gator from Florida, yeah. he is from Pennsylvania or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. So let's get to our Floridiot of the Week. Oh, who will you choose? Sponsored by... UCF professor Jim Clark this week. Uh, okay, so I found this one this week, which is pretty wonderful. Uh, oh, I, I like it because... already. <laughs> Don't look at that. Don't look at that. Okay. <laughs> so there's this guy who feels like his roommate is stealing his opioids, okay? And uh, every, he's like, I know that this guy is stealing my opioids. So what he does is he puts a camera up to uh, affix it to where the opioids are being taken and... He doesn't want his opioids getting taken anymore, so he fills that bottle up with laxatives. That's All right? True. And so, <laughs> so sure enough, he <laughs> finds out oh. his roommate has been taking his opioids. We could take a look at him now. I just love the... Probably like eight to ten hours later he found out. Yeah, that, that would be about it. <laughs> Overnight? I think, I think everybody found out, actually, in the apartment. So he stole it. He chugged those laxatives down. Oh, gosh. And he thought they were opioids. And it turns out, uh, this is from the Miami Herald, by the way, where I found this story. They even have some video if you go to their website. Mm -mm. No, I'm it's good. Uh, I'm good with just seeing his mugshot. Yeah. That's a clever way to do it. But, man, you're taking a chance. Because what if he's just, like, out and about, like, feeling, feeling good about himself and the opioid that, you know, kicks in. Where are you going with this? I'm not going anywhere, you, but you I, know, I, I can tell you where he saying, went. Now you I have can to tell go. you where he went. Now you have to get a new couch. <laughs> Way to go. That's terrible. Just get the video that's, next that's time. That's awful. Bud. Okay, that's a good one. I Thanks. like that one. I appreciate Poor, that. I feel sad for that guy, though. Just wanted some opioids. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel sad for him <laughs> at I all. Congratulations. Okay. Yeah, okay. How <laughs> did the story become public? That's what I wonder. Uh, I'm pretty sure the guy got arrested. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there was a hazmat situation. So, <laughs> so yeah. they may have arrested out. For yeah. Public uh, indecency. Uh, something happened. Anywho. <laughs> all right. So that's the fun stuff. Now we got to talk about something that's it's not so fun, but it man, is it compelling and so interesting. And that's why we have UCF history professor Jim Clark here to talk about the case that's known as the Groveland Four. And, you know, we described it earlier as just being a shameful part of Florida's history. And it, I, that's the only way I can describe it. So tell us a little bit for people who are not familiar, because I'll have to be honest with you. I've been here for about four years now, and I didn't know about this case it, it, intimately like I do now. So for folks who aren't aware of what this is, tell us about the Groveland Four. Ginger, that's a problem with all Florida history that we're all from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so we all took Ohio history or Maryland history or whatever, and we don't know the history of our state. Uh, and in this case, uh, the history of the civil rights movement in Florida has not been taught in schools. Maybe that's changing, uh, but it simply has been uh, overlooked. People don't realize that in the late 1940s, early 1950s, 
Florida was one of the most violent states in the Union. Uh, the Apopka and Orlando Ku Klux Klan chapters were among the most violent, according to an FBI study. Wow. The FBI came here a number of times looking into uh, crimes against African Americans. They investigated, they found things, and frankly, nothing happened. Uh, the power structure in place just ignored. It was a Which real was good not, old boy system. It yeah. really was, really was. The U.S. attorney was part of it. Uh, the sheriff of Orange County, right? Uh, the sheriff of, Dave Starr, the sheriff of Orange County, was a Ku Klux Klansman. Openly. So, openly. So the, there were people who would get beaten up by the Klan, go to Dave Starr. Get beat up again, maybe. To, to file a complaint. They were complaining oh to the guy who had beat him up. Yeah. Uh, vicious. I, I, if it weren't history, it would just be comical the way things happened. Yes, you could go uh, Bumby Hardware. Down, uh, the building is still there. The hardware store is gone, but a big brick building. You could buy dynamite. It just had like six sticks. Like, and that was their was, favorite weapon. Like was, firecrackers today. Like firecrackers. <laughs> it was used in the groves mm-hmm. with stumps and things. Yeah. Uh, uh, heavy usage. And uh, in one of the b- most bizarre cases, uh, the ice cream stand on the Orange Blossom Trail called the Cremette was blown up by the Klan because it didn't have a window, separate window, to serve African-Americans ice cream cones. Just one window. It only had one window. And and the place is the size of a small closet. Yes, exactly. But Klan members were upset that they didn't have two windows. Right, and just blew it up, leveled it. Uh, And so there were dynamitings all over central Florida. Uh, The Apopka Klan uh, ran roughshod. Uh, and uh, responsible for killings, uh, mm-hmm. responsible for violence, mostly aimed at the citrus industry, keeping African Americans, as I said then, in their place, mm-hmm. to keep them working, picking oranges, uh, especially after World War II. Army veterans like Sammy Shepard came back from the war, Walter Irvin came back for the war. They had been places where there were no discrimination sure. laws. And these are two of the guys you're talking about in the Groveland Four. Exactly, yeah. two of the Groveland Four. They didn't want a, a life of picking oranges, and so that upset the power structure. Yeah. And so you had people like Willis McCall, the sheriff, the sheriff. horrible sheriff of Lake County, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, was working for the citrus industry. And his job was to keep a steady supply of people picking oranges. So yeah, he, he, and he called himself the law and order sheriff. Like, he was going to make sure that black people knew their place, and that place was in the orange groves. Yeah, uh, there were a number of instances where he would uh, pull African Americans off of trains passing through Lake County, charge them with vagrancy, and sentence them to pick oranges. What? Yes, I, yes, it, I, I told you. If it, if sorry, if it weren't that it were history, it would sound like you just made it yeah. up. Yeah, okay. in a so couple of cases, these were World War II soldiers in uniforms. Who the train stopped in Leesburg, they got off to have a cigarette or something, and the next thing they there knew, they, go. they were picking oranges. Hard to comprehend, yeah. but I think you're setting the the scene for us here because sure. it is hard to picture really any state, but especially Florida. In that light. So we're thinking uh, it's a dangerous, it's a really vile place if you're a person of color. And so now that we've set that scene, tell us about how the Groveland Four came about. Yeah, I'd specifically start with Norma and Willie Paget. 
They were a couple who they, were separated. They were an on and off again couple. Uh, the story is that uh, that uh, her hu then husband, she later divorced him, uh, had uh, uh, either hit her or beaten her or done something, and her father had said, "If you you do anything else again, I'm gonna you know You're mine. take yeah I'm yeah. gonna take care of you." And so they went to a dance uh, in Groveland. Uh, they drove out of Groveland. Uh, the story is the car broke down. Mm -hmm. uh, she said that uh, a car containing four African Americans came along and offered to help. Uh, and uh, the next thing that happened was she was raped. Yeah, they beat. They apparently beat up her husband, took her away into the groves or wherever they took her, and then apparently raped her. Right. Um, she told at the time a couple of different versions of the story. People who came along very soon afterwards saw her there ask her if anything was wrong she said no yeah. you know she didn't say anything mm -hmm. at the time uh and then she reported it to police the hospital could find no evidence medical evidence mm. of rape and now did uh, they do yes rape kits and everything well they then? did tests yes okay they did tests okay. and uh so uh the sheriff then goes out and arrests four african-americans um one many people believe had been involved in gambling in Lake County and was kind of a target because he was in the rackets, if you sure, will. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, a second one, uh, Charles Greenlee, at the time of the uh, alleged rape, had been in jail in another county. Yeah. He had been picked up on some misdemeanor, mm -hmm. was released, went over to uh, Lake County to meet a friend, happened to be hanging around the railroad station when all this happened. The other two, uh, Shepard and uh, Irvin, had been at a nightclub in Altamont Springs. So nowhere near. Nowhere near. This so happened. we yeah. know where they all were. Yeah. And, so, and just to, uh, I just want to name the four we're talking about. We're talking about Walter Irvin, Charles Greenlee, Ernest Thomas, and Samuel Shepard. Right. Those are the four we're talking about. I mean, we've named them separately and, you know, when you're talking about them, but I just wanted people, because people have sure. to remember them, you they know? Do. And sometimes yeah. they're lost in they history. They do. And, they, you and know, they have family who, you know, they're still around. They have family, and they, uh, two of them, of course, lived for uh, uh, a long time and, you know, kind of uh, obviously ashamed of, you know, hey, aren't you the, yeah. sure. you know, and so... Uh, they didn't tell people, and so they kind of had to... Yeah, and the sheriff just took matters into his own hands, so to speak, because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, he was going to keep blacks in their place, and he was the law and order guy. Yeah, the FBI came in to investigate, um, and uh, unfortunately back then, the FBI had no jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. uh, and even today, this is uh, 2019, lynching is not a federal crime. Well, that makes no sense. Car theft can be a federal yeah. crime, but lynching is not. In fact, uh, somebody uh, a week ago or so, when the new Congress convened, introduced yet another bill. Since the 1930s, people have been trying to get it declared a, a federal crime. So the FBI filed reports which exonerated the four, basically. They found the evidence was fraudulent, that a footprint of one of the four uh, done by the deputy, a, a plaster 
cast of the footprint was a phony, that he had taken one of their shoes, put yeah. it in the dirt, yeah. and made a, a phony footprint. Yeah, but they needed they needed to have people accountable for what had apparently happened or what they or what Miss Paget claimed happened. Exactly, exactly. And even though the evidence was uh, was not there, there was evidence they had been tortured. Uh, the sheriff broke bottles and and of shards of glass on the floor and then hung them from pipes so that the balls and their toes were just touching this cut glass on the floor. So they were tortured for an extended period of time. Uh, And then uh, the U.S. attorney, who was also a racist, a man named Howard Phillips, refused to investigate, refused to uh, do anything about it. Uh, And in fact, jury after jury exonerated uh, the sheriff, Willis McCall, and found uh, the three survivors guilty. Uh, Ernest Thomas um, had escaped. He had heard they were looking for him. He escaped to North Florida. Willis McCall organized a posse. They tracked him down in the woods and killed him. So he died first. And so, you know, and you're talking about they were all convicted, but this was not a jury of their peers. No. You're talking about there were 12 white men on that yeah. jury. Yes, it was all an all-white male jury. It was, uh, they, they moved the trial to Apopka. Uh, I'm sorry, not Apopka, to Ocala, saying, oh, because of the publicity in, in Leesburg. Uh, and uh, it didn't matter. They were still sure. an all-white jury, and they knew mm-hmm. the story, and they were going to find them uh, guilty. Yeah. So since they were all found guilty, they all had to live with this scarlet letter for the rest of their lives, even if their lives were cut short. Now we get to this point, and it is 2019, and Governor Ron DeSantis comes along, says he's going to look into it. They get their pardons after all of this time. Is it too late now? I don't know if it's too late. One of the strange parts was that nobody has ever re-examined the case itself. Mm-hmm. In the case of Harry T. Moore, the late civil rights leader who was killed, uh, the state has done, uh, the county, Brevard County in Mems has done a, an investigation since then, and the state has done two. This was never reinvestigated. They didn't clear the four of the rape charge. What they said was that justice had not been done. They had been denied do justice uh, in this case. That's so, an understatement. So they, uh, nobody is saying, the state is not saying, hey, these four didn't do it. They're saying they didn't get a legitimate day in court. Yeah. So, and a person that a lot of people are saying had a big hand in this is the uh, Pulitzer Prize winning author Gilbert King, because he wrote the book, Is it? I think it's Devil in the Grove. Yes. And so, Excellent book. yeah. And we have a clip from an interview that he did with Justin Wormuth. And we want to roll that for just a second because King, he won't take credit for actually having what happened happen, but he has a long history with this case. So let's listen. If not for your book, does this even get brought up? Um, probably not. And I, 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 not so much about the book. I'll, I'll sort of point to something that very specific that, that this case would have disappeared completely. If Walter Irvin would have died on that side of the road, um, this case would never be heard of. And the, the official story, it would be over. There would be no Groveland boys left, and that would have been it. Miraculously, Walter Irvin survived three gunshot wounds by playing dead and being handcuffed to his best friend, and later went on to tell a story about how that took place. 
And when the FBI investigated, they, they, they basically concluded that Walter Irvin was telling the truth and the sheriff and the deputy were lying and that it was cold-blooded murder. And they later, that was also quashed, uh, amazingly. So Willis McCall was never held responsible for that. But in the FBI report, you look at the forensic evidence and all the evidence they gathered, they recommended prosecution immediately. And they knew that Sheriff McCall was lying. Um, but if Walter Irvin would have died on the side of that road, there would be no story to write because it would be over right there. That's incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> I mean, playing dead after being shot three times. Oh, it's an amazing <laughs> story. And uh, again, uh, he went to prison, though, yeah. even though he was uh, clearly not guilty. Uh, the, one of the key figures in this is Thurgood Marshall, who would go on to become the first African-American Supreme Court Justice. Mm -hmm. Harry T. Moore, the NAACP leader, writes a letter to Thurgood Marshall begging him to come down and handle the case, and he does. The violence is so great that one night as he is driving away from the, from the courthouse, the Klan try to run him off the road, try to kill the man who would later become wow. a Supreme Court justice. So uh, it was pretty much Klan territory. I'm curious what happened to this McCall guy. Do we know what happened yes. later in his life? Tell me he just, you know, got well, crushed by a, you know, no. a falling Anything. boulder or something. It's a, it's a wonderfully ironic story. Uh, as late, he carried on this till in the 1970s. Oh, this oh, wasn't something. African-Americans were being beaten, were being tortured in his jail. Finally, uh, in the early 1970s, another one died in his custody. And finally, Governor Reuben Askew moved to, uh, to remove him from office. And uh, he signed the papers. He has that power, as you know. The governor can remove people. And uh, he handed them to the, uh, to the uh, uh, attorney general's representative um, to uh, deliver mm -hmm. to McCall. And as the man was walking out of the office, he said, uh, do we have any uh, African-American deputies in the office? And the, the guy said, yeah, we do. And he said, have that guy deliver the papers to McCall. How you like that, yeah. McCall? God. Oh, so, my God. So maybe there is some justice. Why didn't we have surveillance video then? <laughs> Why? Would love to see an African-American man delivering him his pig slip. Oh, that's, uh, I mean, it, it's... It's funny, it's still not enough to have happened to that guy for all the pain and misery he caused so many people for decades. No, and they named a, a, a road after him, and as this became more and more public, even before Gilbert's fantastic book, people were petition petitioning the county to change the name. Yeah. How would you, yeah. you live on Willis McCall Road, don't you, man? <laughs> no, I'm moving. <laughs> Thanks. I did want to say one thing. Uh, it, when all of this came out and the governor had a big press conference, there was the woman, the alleged victim in this case, who came out that day. TV cameras were rolling. She said she was really upset about the fact that this has gotten so much attention and uh, that all these men have been I guess you could call it exonerated after all of these yeah. years. It was so unusual to hear from her because she had not spoken for she a would very not speak long time. Every, she's still there in Groveland. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew who she was. Yeah. Everybody knew her name. People have knocked on her door in the yeah. past. And she said, this happened to me. This was the truth. And those were the guys. And those were the guys who that, did it. That's the key. Those were the guys. Her son had earlier said, listen, this happened to my mother. I don't know what the mm. sheriff did afterwards. Mm -hmm. He he might have done horrible things. Uh, 
all she had to do was say, this happened to me. The sheriff arrested four guys, said they were the ones. I hope he got the right guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, but she was adamant. She was adamant After that all these, these were years. The, the four guys. Yeah. I, you know, uh, so I don't know whether she's 86 years old now. And um, I mean, that's a story she's going to take to her grave. She is. And, and also kind of new details came out in Tallahassee that we had never heard before. Yeah. You know, kind of the story changed a little bit. So. And Governor Rick Scott had eight years to do something about this. Ron DeSantis came in for the first, first week, week on the job. He first did this. week. How co- do you know why? Why didn't no, Rick Scott touch this? I have no idea. He and Adam Putnam, the cabinet members, uh, just wouldn't go near this. Pam Bondi, uh, mm-hmm. who's now a lobbyist in Washington, uh, just would not touch this. And I don't know. There was no political fallout from this. I assume... Norma Pageant will not vote for Ron DeSantis sure. in the future, but I cannot imagine anybody, you know, launching a political movement to protest yeah. this. Yeah, so it is, uh, it's a mystery why Rick Scott would not do the right thing. And, yeah. and he'll never tell. So we no. we'll never know. And why Pam Bondi and, and Adam Putnam it's have, have not commented Doesn't make sense, either. but I would love to ask them that yeah. question. Yeah. Uh, myself. Well, this is, I mean, I still feel like there's so much more to learn in this case. We touch on it with a two minute story here on the news and yeah. there, but I've always, Ginger and I were talking, we feel like we never really get to grasp the whole situation as well as we should. But I'm glad you took this time to sit with us and educate us on this because it's something we need to know about. Oh, it's it's one of those things where you're embarrassed if you live in Florida and you don't know the history of that. But what you when once you find out about it, it haunts you and you can't forget about it. So thank you for shedding some light on that. My pleasure. And you know, and say what you will. I don't care what your party party affiliation is, but I feel like a lot of people applaud Governor DeSantis for his decision mm-hmm. to do it so quickly, first week in office. Yeah. It is uh, it was pretty an incredible uh, thing the, to witness. The picture you paint of the 1940s and 50s you know a lot of people say oh those were the good old days well hell i'm glad i live in this day and age right yeah. now yeah but the good old days they weren't that long ago that's it's the, true. That's yeah. the thing when that you're talking about he was still in power in the 70s mccall in yeah. the 70s that's yeah. that's like a blink of an eye yeah yeah. So very anyway, good point. yeah. Oh man, this is one of our more thought-provoking. I know. We I don't, don't know like to make people think. We shouldn't get this deep <laughs> next time. My brain hurts. Jim Clark, professor at UCF, a wonderful school who always gets shortchanged by the playoff committee. Oh, now you break. We did a whole episode on that. We yeah. don't even need to. We don't even need to go there. Thank you so it. much. She's Ginger Gadsden. My name's Matt Austin. This is Florida's Fourth Estate.